If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 20. We'll be in Luke 20 this morning, and I got to tell you, uh, a little bit of paint sure makes a big difference, doesn't it? Y'all ever paint a room and then look at it afterwards like, I don't even know this room anymore? (laughs) I I did some painting in the bedroom yesterday, and um, it's so weird because now the trim is a different color from the walls. You know, before it was all one color, it was that... That, that gorgeous yellowish-white color that, that people used to think every room had to be. And it, it, it was not, it was not a, a favorite in my house, I, I can promise you. But now there's different colors. Now there's, there, the trim is a, a light color, you know, almost a white, and, and the walls are green, uh, and, it, and it, Carrie likes it, so I'm good to go with it. I don't, it doesn't, you know, what I think doesn't matter. But it's amazing how paint on the walls can give a room a completely different look. How, how just a coat or two is all it takes to, to just transform a space. Um, and it's kind of funny. Uh, I, I was thinking about this and I, and I thought about uh, maybe, maybe I shouldn't go too far down this road, but makeup. Some of, some of you ladies think that you are unpresentable if you do not put on makeup. And I want you to know, most folks really don't care. Not as much as you do, um, to be honest with you. It, it's okay if you go out without like 10 coats of makeup on your face. It's okay. It'll be fine. Some ladies are like, I, I, they think they have to like paint themselves in makeup. Just just cover their face like, I don't know, an inch thick or something. I mean, but you really don't need to do that. I promise you, if you need an inch thick of makeup, <laughs> you don't look any better with it on than you do off. I promise you that. Now, that's... My whole point in saying these things is that sometimes, sometimes we put things on and maybe it's, it's a, like the old actors used to put on a mask to indicate what character they are. I mean, back in, in ancient Greek days, when theater was just getting started, uh, you, you would put on a mask to indicate whether you were the good guy or the bad guy. Uh, the Old Western, the light-colored hat is the good guy, the dark-colored hat is the bad guy. You know, the, Sometimes we put on things like that to pretend that we are something. And makeup is one of those things that sometimes some people use it to pretend that they're young when they're not. Now, some folks just put it on because they just want to hide a few blemishes, look a little bit, you know, a little bit nicer, whatever. But some people use it as a disguise almost to hide who they really are. And, and, and the problem with that is, well, it, it, it's in the facade of it, right? It's in the hiding who we really are. The paint, <laughs> the paint on the walls, yes, it gives a good look. But sometimes we paint to hide imperfections, Sometimes we put on the facade to pretend that we are someone that we're not. And then this, this day, in, in, in this uh, particular passage, we're going to find some people who, man, have used a lot more makeup than they should have. And it's obvious to us, and it's obvious to Christ, but they're still pretending to be something that they're not. Stand with me as we read from Luke chapter 20. Jesus has just told the parable of the wicked tenants, 
a farmer uh, uh, plants a vineyard, leases it out to some tenants. When he comes back, when he sends his servants back to collect the harvest, they don't give them the harvest. They mistreat those servants and send them away empty-handed. Finally, that, that owner of the vineyard sends his own son. Maybe they'll respect the son, but instead they kill the son. And so the vineyard owner comes back and he takes care of business, gets rid of the wicked tenants. And it's right on the heels of this that we read our passage this morning. Luke chapter 20, verses 19 to 26. This is God's word. And if you let it, it will change your life. The scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them, but they feared the people. So they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be sincere that they might catch him in something he said so as to deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. So they asked him, Teacher, we know that you speak truth and teach rightly and show no partiality, but truly teach the way of God. Do you hear the pretense? Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? But he perceived their craftiness and said to them, show me a denarius. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? They said, Caesar's. He said to them, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they were not able in the presence of the people to catch him in what he said, but marveling at his answer, they became silent. Father, I pray that we would be silent as your word speaks to us this morning. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You may be seated. The question that they're asking is is a, a question that isn't exactly answered um, they ask the question, should I pay taxes? Is it allowed? Is it lawful for me to pay taxes? Now, before we get into the question and the answer, I think we should take a moment to observe who's asking the question. These are pretenders. Verse 19 tells us that the scribes and the chief priests, Matthew goes into a little more detail. He specifies that it's Pharisees and Herodians that are coming together to uh, try to entrap Jesus. Pharisees and Herodians, talk about strange bedfellows. These two groups did not get along. The Pharisees were highly nationalistic. They wanted Israel to rise to prominence and they were just the leaders to do it. They knew that by keeping the law and by, by nationalistic effort that the people of Israel will rise again, make Israel great again would have been their slogan. The Herodians, well, they're named after Herod for a reason. They were loyal to Herod. They were loyal to Rome and to the ruler that Rome had put over Judea and Samaria and Idumea and, and that whole region. All ruled uh, first by Herod the Great and then by Herod Antipas and others, his sons. And, and so you have these two groups that normally do not get together for anything except to argue and yell at each other and complain about the other. The Herodians, that's what's wrong with Israel because they're holding us back. They're letting Rome put their thumb on us and hold us down. The Herodians, on the other hand, are saying, you Pharisees, you're the problem with Israel. If you would just let Rome lead, we would be great under Rome's leadership. And so back and forth they go, back and forth arguing and, and complaining about each other and, and jostling for political power. That's not to even mention the Sadducees. They'll come up later. 
They'll come up next week, in fact. We'll talk about the Sadducees. The Sadducees are just kind of waiting back while the others try to get Jesus first. But today we have two groups that normally do not get along at all that happen to find a common enemy who said Christians ought to be popular. Christ was not always liked. And we expect us, some people expect Christians to be well-respected in society. Jesus wasn't well-respected in society. Now, there were a lot of people who respected him, a lot of people who loved him, a lot of people who flocked from miles away to hear what he had to say. There's also a whole lot of people that didn't care about him at all, a whole lot of people that wanted him destroyed. And in fact, verse 19 shows us some of them. The scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour, for they perceived he had told the parable against them. Man, they, they were ready to destroy him. But there's all these people around, um, people who actually respected him, people who actually loved him, people who actually cared about what he said, people who would end up being disciples of his. So they can't really do what they want to do. So what do they do? Verse 20, so they watched him. They're waiting for their opportunity. They think they've got a plan. So they send spies. The, the Greek word here is those who would lay a trap, who pretended to be sincere. Satan never comes with horns and a tail and a pitchfork, all red. He never comes that way. He's a pretender. And so are his followers. Sometimes they look like good people. Sometimes they look like good Christian people. You got to be careful because sometimes there are false teachers in churches. And they don't come in and announce themselves, hello, I'm a false teacher. It's nice to see you. I was listening to a podcast this week and, it, and, it sh- and it, they were talking about these two, two seminary professors talking to pastors about how to recognize a false teacher or a false pastor, how to recognize when someone is a wolf in sheep's clothing. And what they said is you can't always trust what someone says up front. You need to be leery about the person who's pretending to tell the truth. So be leery of the person pretending to tell the truth. Now, the funny thing is what they end up saying actually is true, but we'll get to that in a minute. Double check everything. When you hear a word preached that is proclaimed to be God's word, double check it. I'm going to, maybe, maybe this will surprise you. That includes me. Double check what I say. Read the word for yourself. Get to know what God's word says for yourself because you never know when the false doctrine might come. Now, I'd try hard to be true to my doctrine or to God's doctrine. I try to make my doctrine God's doctrine. I try to line those up because I can't move God's doctrine. He's already said that. I got to move mine to match his. And I try to do that. But there are times when we all make mistakes. There are times when we all fail. And so let me encourage you, do the homework yourself. Read the text for yourself. Pray to God about it. Ask him to lead you to understand what his word says. Don't just take my word for it. Don't just take Daryl's word for it, teaching Sunday school. Don't just take anybody's word for it that you see on TV or you hear on the radio or on a podcast or wherever else you get it. Don't take their word for it. Take God's word for it. I went to an auditor's office one time. I was interviewing for a uh, uh, position in, uh, in the auditing department of the bank. And she had a sign that said, in God we trust, everyone else we audit. Trust God. 
audit me and anybody else you hear preaching the word of God. Paul even goes so far as to say in Galatians, if even I preach another gospel, no matter who it is, let him be accursed. Be careful that you know right doctrine. Don't just believe the shiny face, because it probably has makeup on it. Don't just believe the good-sounding words. Right here. Get into the word yourself. Now, they're pretending. They're pretending to be sincere, but they're spies. They're pretending like they care. They're pretending like they really want to know. Now, there's people that are probably having the question that they're going to ask that are probably struggling with, should I pay tribute to a godless Caesar who is calling himself God instead of worshiping the true God? Should I give him that tribute? Should I give him that tax? Is it really lawful for me to do that? There are people that are really struggling with questions, questions of how far they should obey civil authorities and how far, how when that line is drawn, that they should not cross any further. There are people with those serious kinds of questions. But these are pretending. They're not for real. They're playing the game to try to trap Jesus in what he says. Why? So they can give him up to the governor. Why would they want to do that? I'll tell you why they want to do that. Because they don't have the right to punish him the way they want to. The governor has that right. They need Rome to kill this guy. But to make their hands look clean. It's all a game. So, how do they play the game? Well, they they play it nasty. So they asked him, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly. I already want to punch these guys. And show no partiality, but truly teach the word of God. Oh, can it, will you? I have to honestly wonder about Christ if he didn't see through this. This is way, way, way too much makeup. And then they pose the question, Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? I mentioned just a second ago, there are people that have difficulty with where to draw the line between obeying the civil authority and obeying the heavenly authority. There are some that think that as long as the civil authority says it, we should do it. Doesn't matter what it is. Doesn't matter why they say it. Doesn't matter if they have a good reason. Doesn't even matter if the law really gives them the right to say it. As long as they say we should do this, then we should do it. They put down a mandate, they follow. Doesn't matter what, why, how, nothing. Government said it, I should do it. There are some people that think not only that way, but think that government should go out on its limbs and take new powers for itself in order to protect the common good. Now, we shake our heads because we're Americans. But there, but this whole, this whole um, limited government thing, it's not a very popular idea across the world. It's really not. One of the things that makes America different, and you can argue that that's a good difference or that's a bad difference, and sometimes it's both, but one of the things that makes America different is that we have established ourselves on the idea that the government has a limited scope of power. And the more local you get, the more freedom that government has. So federal government is supposed to have a small amount of power expressly given to it and no other. State governments have more power. Local governments have a little bit more power than that. Sometimes in, like, Alabama... Our state government has a lot of power and the local governments have very small functions. 
Other states, the local government pretty much does whatever they want, and the state government does very little. We have these different ideas, and that's great. Some of them work out really well. Some of them don't. That's okay. We learn, right? But this idea that the civil authority is to be obeyed no matter what is a dangerous idea simply because the civil authority isn't the ultimate authority. And so the question is, when do I stop obeying this government and only seek to obey God? Now, let me put your mind at ease. There's a lot of cases where those two do not, do not contradict. My God says don't murder. My government says don't murder. Maybe I shouldn't murder. There's a lot of cases where, where the laws that the government sets up and the laws that God have established are in direct alignment with each other. They work together. Obviously, we should obey those. There are times when God says one thing and government says another thing, and while they don't directly contradict, it might be a little bit of a, you can do what God says, but they want you to do it in a specific type of manner. We can argue about those things, but then there are things that government says, do this, and God says, don't. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, where does that line come between God and government? For them, the question was in taxes to Caesar. Some, th this word is specific to a poll tax. It would be an annual tax, about one day's labor every year. In Judea, they paid the tax because it was a Roman province. In other parts, they didn't pay this tax because it wasn't required of them. If you're not under direct Roman control the way that Judea was, you didn't have to pay this tax. The question that they're asking is, is it lawful? Is it permit? Are we allowed to pay this tax or not? There was a common teaching in Jewish uh, uh, circles of those days that when you use someone's currency, you are ascribing to their dominion over you. That's why the temple only received the temple money for the temple tax. They didn't want to take Roman money because that would ascribe to Rome power over the temple in their thought. All of these things revolving around this issue, should I pay taxes? Should I pay this tax or not? Is it lawful? Is it allowed? Is it permitted? But that's not really the question they want to know, is it? The question is, what can we charge you for before the Roman officials? The question they really want to know is, how can we get you? But what's interesting, what's interesting about Christ is he always sees the deeper issue. Verse 23, but he perceived their craftiness. He knows this isn't about paying taxes or not paying taxes. This is a setup. He knows it. I mean, how can you not know it after the way they're talking in 21? Luke kind of helps us here because he tells us these guys were pretending to be sincere but trying to catch him, right? Luke kind of, Luke doesn't hide the ball from us. He lets us see the play in advance. We know what's coming. But even Jesus standing there listening to all this, <laughs> he sees what's coming too. He perceived their craftiness. This word for craftiness is never used in a positive light in the New Testament. It's the Greek version of the Hebrew word used in Genesis chapter 3 that the serpent was more crafty than all the other animals of the field. He sees it. And so what does he do? He asks them a question. Show me a denarius. This is the coin that they would have used to pay the tax. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? A coin in that day would have had the picture of 
Caesar. Roman coin would have had a picture of Caesar on it and it would have said something to the effect of Tiberius, the son of the divine Augustus. Augustus. In other words, Tiberius is Augustus, but he's also the son of Augustus, the son of the prior ruler who was divine. You may as well call yourself God in that kind of parlance. And while he may or may not have called himself God, he certainly wasn't going to object to worship. Later, Caesars would end up calling themselves God while they were alive. Typically, it was after they were dead that the next guy would say he was a God. That's probably the case in Tiberius. He wouldn't have said, I am God, but he did say, I am the son of a, of a God. It's interesting, the, a, a coin claiming that someone is a son of God, being held by the one who is the son of God. Who, whose image is on this coin? Well, that's Caesar's. Whose inscription? That, that's Caesar. So Jesus says, then give Caesar what belongs to Caesar. What does belong to Caesar? The coin belongs to Caesar. It's got his face and his, his writing on it, right? I don't know that he chiseled it on there or whatever. He had it printed on there, though. It's his coin. What's due to Caesar? Well, the tax is due to Caesar. But what if they use my tax money in a wrong way? Doesn't matter. It's still his. This word for render to Caesar, that, that, that render is the word for to pay back an obligation. It's not just the word of give Caesar something that you're supposed to give him. It's give it back to him. It's like you borrow money and you're paying it back. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Give him what's his. The general principle here is some things actually do belong to Caesar and you should give them to him. Some things belong to other people and you should give them back, right? You borrow a shovel from your neighbor, you take it back when you're done, right? Not broken, hopefully. Otherwise, you buy him a new shovel, right? I mean, this isn't, this isn't hard stuff, is it? We like to make it hard. But the fact of the matter is Jesus is saying something really simple here. Give people what they are due. If someone, if you owe someone something, you give it to them. The wicked borrow and do not repay, Solomon says in the Proverbs. Give it back. It belongs to him. Then the second part of this line, and to God, things that are God's. What belongs to God? You can say it out loud. It's okay. Everything. Wait a minute. You just told me I had to give Caesar what belongs to Caesar's, and now you're telling me everything belongs to God. Yeah, exactly. But what about that money then? That money belongs to God, right? Because everything belongs to God. Yes, and God has told you to give it back to Caesar. Here's the thing. When we are obeying government authority, when it is rightfully applying God's truth in government, we are honoring the God who established that authority. So, so there's no question of when, when God has established an authority and an authority is acting within its purview, doing what God has assigned for it to do, whether it recognizes God or not, whether it wastes your money or not, whether it does things that are absolutely reprehensible or not, we honor God by honoring the authority that he puts in place. When that authority is acting out of its boundary, then we honor God directly by doing what he says. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's is one way that we render to God the things that are God's. Notice he doesn't say, render to Caesar what Caesar asked of you. Not render to Caesar what Caesar commands of you. Render to Caesar what actually belongs to Caesar. And render to God what actually belongs to God's. 
Because God has established the authority that he has established. If a president that I don't like is in office making making executive orders that I don't like, if a Congress is in office that I don't like, that is passing bills that I don't like, but they are not directly in contradiction to God's law, they have the authority. Now, that doesn't mean I don't fight. It doesn't mean that I don't say, hey, this isn't a good idea, that I don't try to vote people in office that will oppose those kinds of things, that will stand up for the things that I want them to stand up for. But when Congress is acting within its purview, when the president is acting within its purview, when when the judges that sit on the bench are acting within their purview, they have been given authority not just by voters who voted them in, but by the very God who put them in that office. And we honor God by following them. When they're not in their purview, we honor God by reminding them of the limits of their authority. Sometimes that means you got to say no. Sometimes that means you say, well, it's time to vote someone else in. I want to be very careful how I say this because I want to say it in a way that is true to the scripture but doesn't get misunderstood. I'm not telling you if you don't like a law, just suck it up, buttercup, and deal with it. I'm not telling you that. But there are ways to do what's right that honor both the rightful authorities on earth and the one who gives all authority in heaven. And there will come a day when honoring God's law means breaking man's law. We all have those, those times when we have to make a choice of, am I going to follow this or that? Am I going to do what God has said or am I going to do what man has said? Sometimes it's not even in law. Sometimes it's just trying to impress someone we like. Sometimes it, it's trying to make friends. But when we follow what man has said, in contradiction to what God has said, we do not honor man or God. But when we follow God's law, even when it opposes man's law, we show honor to God and we do not dishonor the man. It's a tough line to walk. I know it, it, sometimes it's, it's real questionable. I'll give you a great example. Some of you are wearing masks and some of you aren't. Yeah, sometimes these questions don't boil down to a right or wrong. Sometimes these questions don't boil down to, to one item being specific. We absolutely know that this is God's will. Sometimes it's questionable. I've settled in my heart what I believe is the right thing for me to do. But I also recognize that I'm human and I make mistakes. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe not. I'll just do my best to follow his will. But I want you to know this. When what God has said is clear, and any time God gives a command, it's clear. We have no excuse not to follow that command, no matter who says otherwise. God has given us a command to give to God everything that belongs to God. And guess what that means? I have to give him me, all of me, all of my hurts, all of my hangups, all my difficulties, all my screw-ups, all of my sins, but also all of my awards and all of my accolades and all of my rewards, all of my accomplishments, all of my dreams. You see, because God has put his image on me, he's inscribed his words on my heart. And so just like that coin has a picture of Caesar, I have a picture of God, which means that anything I hold back from him, I'm directly disobeying him. By the way, those pretenders, they were silent. They weren't able to catch Jesus in what he said. There's coming a day where we all stand before God and we're all silent, and he's the one who speaks. And I pray that he finds you 
with the words, well done, and not with the words, depart from me. You didn't give me what I was due. We render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, but we render to God the things that are God's. And since everything belongs to God, well, everything belongs to him. This morning, I want to offer you a chance to pray at the altar. Maybe you haven't been giving everything to God. Maybe you've been withholding because you thought, well, if I just have, if I could just get a guarantee, if I could just see what was going to happen, if I just knew, then I'll be all right. Some of you have been holding back because, well, it's hard to let go. It's hard to, it's hard to give up. Maybe what you've been fighting for for decades, what you've been building all your life, and you recognize that true discipleship requires that you give God everything because he is due everything. You, you, just aren't, you just haven't been willing to let go yet. Maybe you haven't given God everything because you don't know him. I'm going to be up here at the front if you need to talk to somebody whether it's to accept Christ, to follow him in obedience, to become a part of this church, I'm going to be up here at the front. Otherwise, the altar's open if you need to pray. You give God everything. Father, you deserve everything. We owe you everything. Help us not hold back anymore. In Jesus' name, amen.